Yes, hello. I am James Rowlands, and today it's the WNR Three Three Five. It's AW Revolution, and I have the pleasure to be joined by the Ultimate One. How you doing, fella? You're right. Hey, I'm good, buddy. How's everything? How's uh, the family over there? Oh, it's all good over here at the moment because we've got this uh, wonderful wrestling to watch. How's things over in New York City? Yeah, everything is good. Things are kind of a little bit opening it up little by little over here. You know, they open up uh, again. Um, dining in here and all that stuff. So yeah, things are getting back to normal. Hopefully, you know, like I said, I'm just waiting for the, you know, little independent shows in in the United States, especially in New York area, to open up so we can go watch wrestling live. Yeah, without doubt. Over, like I said, in uh, till June, and then hopefully have the live shows. I don't know about when WWE and AEW are going to come over. But speaking of AEW, like we're going to do. And what we're going to talk about today is AEW Revolution. Uh, Before we start, for those who really enjoy the uh, build-up to the pay-per-view and the reviews of the Dynamite, the WNR will be back this weekend for all the uh, prelude and the fallout to the pay-per-view, plus brace for impact. And again, thanks for all the tweets, messages and emails that we've been getting. But let's go straight into it. It's the 7th of March. Uh, What was your excitement level for the event and the match you were most looking forward to uh, at the pay-per-view? Well, the match that I was looking forward to, of course, was the Explosion match because I am a big fan of that. I used to watch a lot of that stuff about 25 years ago. I got VHS tapes. I got DVDs about that stuff with Onita and Terry Funk, Cactus Jack, uh, or Mick Foley, whatever the guy, people know him today. But I was looking forward to that. And also, the big thing that was going on during the weekend was who was going to sign with uh aew because that was like the big thing and, and the twitter was going crazy and i love how the fans just make up stuff and they all oh, is brock Lesnar coming to aew and you know i was like oh god you know but um you know but the match that i was really looking for was the moxley versus omega explosion match yeah right i mean i've been wanting to do it for ages is to uh do a podcast about like the Japanese hardcore matches and especially the uh, King of the Death match, like you said, Cactus Jack, Rick Foley, Terry Funk was involved in. Uh, and it kind of had that kind of retro feel, that's kind of thoughts that came to your head. And like I said, AEW had so much hype for who the mystery man was and about this main event as well. But we had the buy in to begin with. And of course, promos to start, we had Sting and Derby versus Team Taz. Uh, not many matches have had more build up than that one, I don't think. Straight into Shida versus Rio hype. Then it's Bucks versus the MGF and Jericho after it's Paige and Matt fight for big money. The face of the revolution match, it means everything to Cody. Then the main event is uh, previewed. And then we're into the action. Of course, we've got Tony and Excalibur on uh, commentary. And uh, with Rebel unable to compete following an attack by the hands of Nyla Rose, Dr. Britt Baker introduced a replacement, Japan's Makioti. The Joe Battle Thunder Rose and Rio in Tatum action to kick off the night's festivities as part of the buy-in. Now, of course, we'll get onto predictions in a little bit. We were going to do it. Uh, but this kind of uh, was it strange that it kind of didn't hype it up or is it maybe Makito not one of the kind of star names out there? Well, you know, Makito, I mean, I was hearing a lot about her during the um, the tournament. I never seen the rest or whatever. Um, and the fact that they actually put her in to team up with Britt Baker. I mean, I mean, it was good for them to do it as far as to make a team with Britt Baker because you get a, a, at least a feel of um, what they're trying to do with the women's division because of the uh, the tournament. You see all the Japanese ladies that they have over there. 
Um, so it looks like you're going to see Maki Ito more um, on the division, which they need anyway. I just don't want it to be an old Japanese division, you know? Yeah. But uh, Maki Ito reminds me of uh, uh, a character that they used to have here. Uh, what was uh, I forgot the name. It was a... a, a Mihao, I think was the name of the. That's what it me. The girls in Japanese, I don't. Know, they look like little kids. I don't know. They look like <laughs> well, little girls. And, and the, the, her, the, the, the girl that came out, I was like, all she needed was a lollipop. Well, the great thing about her, Mackie, so it's a kind of story behind her as well, is that she used to be in this kind of girl, um, young girl group in Japan, and kind of got kicked out because she was kind of so aggressive. And yes, of course, yes. her, her gimmick is kind of singing and dancing on the way to the ring. And one thing I thought was that the way she was singing and dancing, even before the match started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. That I mean, that kind of like killed it for me a little bit because I'm like, you're playing to the crowd. I want to see you wrestle. I want to see what you bring to the table. And watching her and Riho go at it, it was like watching two little girls fight. So you know. But it was not. It was. A, it wasn't a bad match, though. It wasn't a bad no. match at all. Like I said, we're getting to the action. Um, she also had an 18-hour flight the day before traveling from Japan. So I think. Yeah, I got to. Give, uh, yeah, I got to give her credit for that because they did mention she had 44 hours before that she was in some tournament. Well, I think it was mm-hmm. a tag team tournament, and then she had the 18-hour flight. It was. Oh my God, that's crazy. And then singing and dancing, and then expected to have a match as well. It's crazy, but we see yeah. a brief back and forth. Between Baker and Rio, the doctor bowed out the ring, avoiding the showdown with a familiar foe, Rosa and tagging Ito into the belt. Rosa and her exchanged jarring strikes for Rosa dropped her face first into the top turnbuckle. From there, she delivered the wheelbarrow slam, driving Rio into Ito for a near fall. Rio is then worked on by the hills. Rosa received a tag from Rio after several moments, exploded into it, teeing off both opponents. She's delivered a butterfly suplex to Baker and has the sent on for a near fall. Baker recovered, delivered a sling blade to Rosa, and Ito followed with a headbutt. For a near fall of Rowan. Again, apparently she's got one of the hardest heads, has uh, Mackie. Yeah, Ito yeah, well. that was that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was crying. I was like, she's just going sideways doing a headbutt. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> uh, we get all four competitors and a signature offense, including the Super Delphine inspired Tornado DDT by Ito. Again, she was really impressed with this one. We get a double headbutt, left both Rio and Ito reeling. Baker tagged in, delivered an air raid crash for two. Rose entered the match and after Breaker crashed into Rebel, he scored the win with the Death Valley driver. Rio wipes his eye out on the inside and Rebel interfered yet again, this time blasting Rose with a crutch to the head allowing Baker to pick up the pin for victory. What were your thoughts in the first match? Uh, look, match was good. Uh, it just kills me when I see Thunder Rosa getting pinned because of outside interference. The match was pretty good. I mean, I think in the first 15 minutes of the match, it was more like a little bit of like comedy like with Ito, with Ito and um and the way what she was doing. But otherwise ring wise, work wise in the ring, it was pretty good. It wasn't bad. I mean, I think honestly, this is one of the best buy in they had matches they had in a long time. I think usually it it, it took about mostly like twenty something minutes for the buy. They 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 were smart this time. They've actually they did not um made the match 15 minutes, the last 15 minutes of the show, they, they they expanded it. But the match was pretty good. I mean, it pretty much sets up probably another showdown between Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker. I mean, they are going to wrestle each other again on Wednesday, in a, I think in a six six man tag or six woman tag. But I want to see Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker in a cage match just to get, you know, 
just to close out that that feud because it's been twice Thunder Rosa has gotten beaten because they either outside interfering with Reba or Rebel it's supposed to be, but um, now this time was with a crutch. So you know, but overall match was pretty good. Uh, you know. Well, we'll get to the score in a minute, but uh, just want to say, didn't they have that weird uh, buy-in match that we, I think we both watched, where it was in a dentist's office as well with Britt Baker. Yeah, that, yeah, so, but that, that was because Britt Baker probably wasn't even ready to get in the ring. Remember, yeah. she had that injury um, last, I think this time last year. So, um, so I think that's why, that's why when she actually started working, uh, going back into the ring, she was, you know, I look at it now. Before she had that great match with Thunder Rosa, she was very, very gen- uh, gingerly in the ring when she used to throw her kicks. It wasn't as crisp as she did when she wrestled Thunder Rosa the first time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, but this buy-in was not bad. This is one of the best buy-in for matches they had. Yeah, it's an, it's an improvement from what we saw before. But this felt long, but... I'm not complaining because it's great to see the four talented women in action. And, and like I said, you could argue about all four being put in a prominent position. I know like, how big a fan you are, Thunder Rose as well. Tony did say on commentary, this is one of the greatest rivalries today with Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa. I don't think it is. Well, because I don't think it's been given and, you know, it's not on the level kind of being treated as such just yet. Well, it's better than any. I think if you look at a division right now, um, they those two when they go at it, they go at it. You know, like I think it's one of the best rivalry right now. Cause I mean, if you think about it, the division don't have any rivalries. You know, what I'm saying they don't have any any long term rivalry. At first, it was the rivalry they had between Riho and Nyla Rose. At one point, was all right, but it was it was more. If you think about the story, it was like David versus Goliath type of thing. The Sheeta versus Nyla Rose, that was a good. Um, rivalry, which I think they they are now uh, reliving it again. Um, and so right now, the Thunder Rosa and um, Britt Baker is the best thing they have. I mean, I like it. I mean, I don't know if everybody I don't, I else don't, like it, but I do. <laughs> I don't think it's a like you said, maybe in the women's division, but I think Tony is saying in wrestling, and I don't forget. No, 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 no. It's kind of at that level. But anyway, score wise, uh, what are you going to give that out of five? Uh, that match, I give it a three. A three, maybe three and a half, because I think I think uh, the first 15 minutes of the match, um, and I wrote this down. They they kind of like were doing too much of, you know, like co- comedy like she, you know, Ito was like playing to the to the crowd, and I was like, okay, it wasn't until like the 15 minute mark that's when Britt Baker came in and started cheating and they started attacking. Uh, I believe it was Rio. They were they putting the boots on. Um, so it didn't really get that real, real physical until like the 15 minute mark. So I think it, would, it could, if they would have started with the physical stuff within the 15 minute mark, I think I would have probably gave it a four or four and a half. But I give it a maybe a, I give it a three. You give it a three. I'm going to give it a three and a half because, uh, like you said, I think this was a really good way to uh, start the. Action wise, the double podcast went up against the choke slam report. They both went Rio and. But, uh, and Thunder, but of course with the change, we didn't know about that uh, so we start off with uh, no points each, and poll wise uh, we yes. asked everybody of course on Twitter, uh, 52% went Rio and Thunder, so of course um, that was misinformation 
as well. And then after that, we get more about the main event and running through the card. And then the main show starts properly. We get a nice tribute to Jim Crockett Jr., age 76, who sadly passed away. Um, this is a guy, I mean, it's difficult to explain and we just do it quickly now. Uh, what kind of legend this guy was to maybe people that don't know? Well, Jim Crockett, um, I mean, because his father was a, a big promoter back in the 60s and 70s. But Jim Crockett was responsible, a, a lot of responsible when maybe the 1985 to the 87, the, by that time when that's when the four horsemen were born back in um, NWA. They were called back then before they became WCW. Um, he made he made a lot of money, but he also made a big mistake of, you know, having two Lear jets and traveling in private jets. And that's what happened. That's what happened when he had to sell it to Ted Turner and it became WCW. But Jim Crockett promotion in the Mid Atlantic area back in the, in the United States in the 80s was very big. That's when Ric Flair made his name. The Andersons, Ole and Arn, Tully Blanchard, uh, Barry Windham, Dusty Rock could go on and on here. But Jim Crocker was very big in um, promoting his um, NWA in the North Carolinas and, you know, the Carolinas, Virginia, Baltimore area. The, I mean, that's where the, uh, the war games were born under him. I mean, this man is, is legendary. And, you know, it's, it's sad that he passed away at age 76. But, you know, his name is cemented in the wrestling history. So, you know, this guy, it was one of the best promoters. It's just... You know, like everybody else, they get caught up with the limelight of money and, you know, he didn't know how to manage his money. And, you know, he ended up selling to Ted Turner with WCW, um, you know, and he bought the uh, the Jim Crockett promotions from from um, Jim Crockett. I also remember uh, Jim Crockett also bought Bill Watts out when they used to have the Mets out and then became Universal Wrestling Federation in 87. So he bought that out. So, I mean. But it was uh, when he bought that out just a, a year later, he ended up selling to Ted Turner. But, you know, Jim Cornette, um, I'm Jim Cornette, Jim Crockett <laughs> will always, uh, well, Jim Cornette was part of that also. Midnight yeah, no, Friday. but I'm saying, if he's, if he's passed away this week, then that is amazing. Like, you yeah, know yeah. What I'm saying? <laughs> uh, Jim Cornette is just a nutcase. But uh, uh, but Jim Crockett will always be in the, in the history of professional wrestling. Yeah, that, that he will be missed. And I think as well, we talk about like an advent of Starcade, the kind of first mega event, even before WrestleMania. Yeah, 1983, yeah. Yeah, and of course now kind of the uh, the AEW, people look at it as the kind of, you know, WCW of the present day, so to speak. So it's nice to kind of go in the pay-per-view and pay tribute to light. But it's Sunday night, and you know what that means. JR's voice sounds like shit. Um, yes. <laughs> I was like, I had to... I was like, is, am I listening to this man right? He sounds hoarse. What the hell? <laughs> Sounded horrible. It was bad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, because of this one, though, with AEW, I think the papers get me a little bit more excited because, obviously, it's not one a month. You kind of get a little bit of build. So I was, I was kind of looking forward to this one. And we get the fireworks. We're hyping the most dangerous match in AEW history. Uh, we get no opening promo, but we do get Judas in my mind as the AW Tag Team Championship match. The Young Bucks versus Chris Jericho and MGF start off. Uh, this was an interesting way to start. Of course, we'll get onto the match in a minute, but just through positioning, because I, I kind of class this as a kind of semi-main event, so to speak. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that threw me off, because I thought, I figured, like, they'll probably start the Casino Battle Royal or the Tag Team Battle Royal 
Uh, that's I think they're going to start that off, or they're going to start with the Miro versus Kip Sabian. I mean, Miro and Kip Sabian versus Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. But no, they start they started it off with a bang. They were not playing. So I mean, to me, I think. I mean, it's. I always say when you start a pay per view, you got to set a tone. And AEW figured, well, let's set the, set the story. Remember, now AEW. I mean, AEW has fans in there, so it may not be a lot, but they they're setting up the tone. I think that the way they did this was to set up the tone of the pay per view and get the crowd hyped up, you know, for the rest of the show. All right, uh, we'll get on to the match. You're driven by revenge. Your young bucks took punches early and often. Um, I will say the referee was useless. Um, I mean, the amount of kind of DQ situations with the, the guys being in there for too long or count outs, um, just make it a kind of no count out DQ match because you're nullifying the referee. I don't know what you think. This is one of my kind of pet peeves when it comes to AEW. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, because they're doing stuff and, and they something wonder what the hell the referee is doing. Is he eating popcorn or something? Yeah. Because... They take it to, to outside. They do stuff that's disqualification stuff, and it's, it's logic. It's a lot of things has to be logic. But I guess the, they figure, well, the referee is gonna be very lenient because this is remember this is like the young buck trying to get even with MJF and Jericho. MJF being the a hole that he is, and they, you know trying to get even for what it did to Papa Buck. So maybe they figure, well, the referee is not gonna be a a, a big Epical part of the of the storyline here, so he probably backs off, whatever. But yeah, I know what you mean. Sometimes you be like, that's supposed to be a disqualification. And it's like sometimes the referee is not even part of the match. Well, she's just kind of looking on. I was going, oh, you enjoying it, are you? I thought you meant to be officiating. But anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> back to the action. We get heads up played by Jericho, bringing Nick Jackson back in head first into the ring apron, turning the tide in the end of the circle's favour. Wardlow made his presence felt on a couple of occasions. Now Jericho then retained control of the bout. They beat down Matt Jackson. Of course, his wife was looking on at ringside. There was a double DDT on the hills uh, during the match, and it looked like it broke Jericho's neck. And Jericho kind of got up from it, but it looked ever so awkward. I don't know if you noticed it during it. It was during, I think, uh, first Nick's kind of comeback. They're just, I, I don't know. So, sometimes these guys be taking bumps, unnecessary bumps, and they don't, I don't know, they, they, they fall weird. And then you think like they break their necks. I, I don't know. I just, these guys, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just sad. Like, I, to me, it's like you, you over exaggerating with the bumps, you know? Yeah. And, and that area where they have, uh, especially around the stage area, that's very kind of dangerous because the good thing is there's a set of steps in that little corner, and I'm like, sometimes these guys be taking bumps in there, I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, we have, we have seen it a couple of times, people tripping there, but we get hot tag, tag to Nick, spark the babyface comeback, which included destroy pile driver to MGF for two, the Bucks channeled impact wrestling's motorcycle machine guns, with a made in Detroit for a near fall, the hills answered in the form of a lion tamer by Jericho and Nick, and then Matt tagged in, and this was a really cool spot, because uh, Jericho simply transitioned into the walls of Jericho onto the fresher man, which you're kind of thinking, how are you going to do that? And yeah, fair play, fair play. <laughs> no, but you know what's the best? I don't know. Um, I don't know if this happened. That part happened before. Jericho went for a Judas effect, and I never seen anybody do this. He went to the Judas effect, and Matt super kicked it. You didn't see yeah, that part? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Exactly that. I was. I was about. I'd say that was the kind of the little things like that, and you're going. 
oh, so that's why he's not kind of tempted it again, because he's mm-hmm. already kind of had it targeted. And like you said, there was little things in this match that you could just kind of see happening. You see MJF scoring a series of near falls on Matt. Uh, the codebreaker interceptor was sweet as well, uh, where yeah. you see um, Jackson coming across and in Jericho. Uh, he kicked out of everything, including a baseball shot to the back by Jericho. MJF's power driver failed to put him down, much to the dismay of the hills. Matt tagged Nip back in. You get stereo crossbody blocks, wiping the challenges out, but Nick could not put Jericho down. Wardo attempts to interfere, but Ed and Eric Judas effect by the champion. The Bucks delivered a BTE trigger for a near fall on Jericho, but MGF broke it up. The Bucks are then corked a series of super kicks for the challengers and finished Jericho off with the Meltzer driver for the successful title defence. What were your thoughts? The, I mean, the match itself was a very good way to start the the uh, the pay-per-view. Um, I expected because and, and this is what I, uh, I mean this is what happens with me when I start watching the BTE show and the Sammy Guevara blogs I thought and plus of what happened last week um on the on the go home show where the young bucks attacked um um, um Jericho and MJF and um Satana Ortiz were involved and then they got put through a table so I figured like well, okay um Santana Ortiz are going to get involved because they said in the promo on Wednesday that Inner Circle will cross lines. So, in other words, what they were saying is we were the one who beat up your father. MJF and Jericho just decided to plant his face in the back of the truck. So, I was expecting um, them to kind of come out, but they didn't. But overall, the match was pretty good. Um, I don't know what, what's going to happen with now with... Jericho MJF, even though they say they're planning to do changes coming up this Wednesday. But the match overall was a great way to start the, the show. Um, it pretty much everything that I expected. It was uh, it, it was hard hitting. You know, you got the MJF and, and Jericho, you know, being the a-holes. You got Warlow coming in, interfering. Um, I, like I said, I love the part where um, Jericho went for the uh, Judas effect and Matt super kicked it. I never seen anybody do that. But I thought it was over. I thought it was over when MJF hit the heat seeker on him, yeah. uh, on Matt. I thought it was over, but he got out of it. Um, did you find Jericho keeping up with the pace? Uh, or, uh, you know, because it's one of these questions that a lot of people will get angry yeah, he's, about. He's slow, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's slow? I mean... He's catching his you, breath. <laughs> yeah, what do you expect? I mean, you, you, the guy's 49 years old. Like... He, I mean, he does. I mean, I don't think the match should have lasted that long, you know, for him. But I mean, I, I don't look at that because I figure, look, if he could go on, whether he's tired or not, he's still doing it. You know, he's 49 years old. He's not as quick as before. He does. He's had gained a lot of weight. That's not the Jericho that uh, I call it. There was in WWE. Um, but I mean, he's he trying to keep up, but. You know, you, you're in there with the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks are a quick tag team. And, you know, and Jericho's just going to try to cheat, whatever. But, I mean, it was pretty good. I, I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, not, I don't uh, want to, you know. I didn't see a donut popping out of him. But, I'm about know. to say, he used to be a Jericho-holic. We don't to turn into like a Chocoholic, do we? But we've got to be careful. We get, um, I've seen a lot of spot calling in, in that one as well, uh, especially MJF. But, again, maybe it's little things that we're noticing that maybe other people have. I don't think the Bucks can have a bad yeah, match. Yeah, but this, you remember, they got a lot of people are going to complain about everything now because 
they a lot of people are still upset that Jericho is an AEW, you know, and and um, they're gonna try to, you know, uh, talk bad about him. He's too fat. He's too slow. This and this and that, you know. But I mean, he's trying to keep himself in good shape for a guy 49 years old, still doing what he's doing. I mean, he still could do that lion salt. You know, he still does it lovely for for a guy that big because he's gotten big. You know, um, um, it could still do it. I mean, I still give him credit. Oh, well, I've, I've watched Jericho match in the Goldberg match, you know. Uh, JR used slobber knocker on the commentary again, which is kind of, his voice is going in desperation. He's like, I'll bring out the old slobber knocker. Um, out of five for me, I like I said, I didn't mind the match. Uh, I thought it was a great way to start the show. Uh, so I'm going to give it a three and three quarters out of five because I thought it was a really good match. Uh, I'll give it about, I'm going to give it a four. Because, uh, again, I expected everything. It was a little longer than I expected, but the story itself, what it showed in the match, made it better. Um, so, and, and then, the, you know, like I said, Jericho still could do it, you know, um, and of course, MJF is an asshole, but, um, but that's what made the match good, you know. Not where they're going to go from here. I'll give it a four, though. I'll give it a four. Yeah. Well, well, prediction-wise, uh, we uh, WNR went for MJF and Jericho to choke some report yourself. Went the Young Bucks. You take a one-nil lead at this moment in time, but of course, plenty to play for on the polls. Uh, Frankie Levere says the Bucks with Sammy helping them, like you kind of mentioned with Guevara coming in there. Nick Celtic said MJF and Jericho. So me and him were both wrong. Uh, so we go on to the tag team casino battle royale. And I love a match with so many rules. So the rules for the Casino Tag Team Royale are as follow. Order of entry is selected by a lottery. Two tag teams will start the match. Every 90 seconds, a new team will enter the match. Individual eliminations occur when a competitor is thrown on the top rope. Both feet stuck to the floor. Tag teams eliminated with both competitors being ruled out. Match continues since only one. The win team will earn a shot. Wow, that is a lot of rules. Do you think they had to make it so confusing? <laughs> well, they're, they're always going to do that. I mean, and me, I already know what they're going to do. Um, they At least, look, at least the one thing they don't do, and WWE used to do this when they used to do tag teams, uh, battle royals, was if one guy gets eliminated, both team, uh, both members are. <laughs> so this made, it, this made it more interesting because then, you know, the, the ring is not getting empty out so quick. So, um, but I don't, let me, anyway. We're going to talk about this, but there was only one interesting part of this whole Casino Tag Team Royale. And, and I already predicted who was going to win it anyway by before the pay-per-view started uh, because of a Wednesday match. So, but, you know, I, I, I was happy that something happened in there that I hope to God that they follow next Wednesday. Oh, this uh, one, well, actually. Like I said, we get into the action of Dark Orders. Uh, Alan, Five Angels, and Prez 10 Vance kicked off the match with Dustin Rose and QT Marshall. Natural Nightmares. Satan Ortiz joined the fray next, eliminating Angels. Matt and Mike Sedell were out next, followed by Stu Grayson and Evil Uno. Mike Sedell joined Angels, the next man eliminated, as Dark Order dominated the action in the ring. Santana rocked the opposition, though. Again, it's a meant for the Inner Circle's entrance. The Gun Club's Austin and Colton led to next, and wait a little time a page from their father's Billy playbook with picture perfect drop kicks. Now I I have seen the Gun Club before, uh, but I swear I, and I sound like an old man, they are the spitting image of Billy Gunn. 
yes I, I i actually thought it was billy for a second <laughs> yeah i, I think uh, uh is it austin is it austin gun i think yeah the, austin looks just like his father but a shorter version when he smiles it's just just like billy same smile the um you know I, yeah it, 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 i mean i really knew it was a, the, his son but yeah they they, they I, I just i just don't think they they don't get pushed like they're supposed to do. The yeah, I mean, there's never going to be an argument about a DNA test in that household. Oh, yeah. You, no. I mean? you don't have to go to court. So. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, well, we see uh, Satana eliminated Matt Sardell with a pump kick knocking him to the floor. Sardell brothers eliminated. That's good that they've uh, spent their time in AEW. Uh, Peter, Peter Avalon and Cesar Benoni enters the match next, teeing off from the gun club. Cesar is so green. And how is Peter in this match? I mean, <laughs> we've, we've talked about him. How poor did he Peter, sneak his way in? Poor Peter. Peter Avalon. But listen, I mean, they got him teaming up with Cesar Bonani. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you got to get him somewhere. I mean, he's, I mean, they got Peter Avalon. I feel so bad for the guy. He's one of the first top guys that they, they, they picked up before they did this whole AEW stuff. But, I mean, he's entertaining. I mean, he gives you that hope that he's going to win a match, you know. Now, Cesar Bonani, I've I, I seen him a couple of times. That guy is huge. That guy is tall. He got a lot of potential. Um, but they got him teaming up with Peter Avalon. Peter Avalon needs to wrestle by himself. He's supposed to be. I'd rather have Peter Avalon in the Mick Carr level where he's going for the TNT title. Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, like I said, we saw a lot of talent on the show. We see the Varsity Blondes, Brian Pillman Jr. and Griff Gaston hit the ring like a ball of energy, targeting Benoni. Austin Gunn dropped Avalon with a famous and sent him packing over the top rope to the floor. The Gun Club continues to roll, attempting to dump Benoni. Marshall eliminated the Gun Club for jumping over the top rope himself and walking out and parting the rows, essentially ending the natural nightmares. And you have said this from a look that was on Dynamite a few weeks back. Oh, yeah. Because when Lee Johnson teamed up with Cody, you know, um, and and he mentioned that he was thankful for Cody, um, uh, Dustin Rose, and even Brandy Rose. Uh, QT Marshall just gave him this look like, what about me? You know, but, you know, and they caught up to it. So watching QT Marshall get rid of the gun club, and when he did it at first, I said, okay, he got rid of the gun club. But then I saw Dustin Rose, and I remember that the gun club is part of the natural, uh, the nightmare family. I said, oh, shoot, he just eliminated guys. from." But in a way, I was like, well, this is uh, everybody, you know, this is a battle royal. You're getting a shot for the AEW title. But the part that really caught me was when he eliminated himself. And, you know, I know it's pretending, but he spit at uh, Dustin Rose. So I'm like, wow, they really, really turned him to a heel. You know, that not that he was already um, – you know, portraying himself as a heel in Sammy Guevara's vlog. You know, him and um, uh, Fuego de Sor, you know, they got this little rivalry going on on, on the vlog. But the way they did it, it was like, okay, QT Marshall now is a rule breaker, you know, because yeah, he's been at. So I'm like, is he going to wrestle Dustin Rose first to push that, that, that heel turn? Or he's going to wrestle Lee Johnson and beat the crap out of Lee Johnson to then either get him to wrestle Cody or Dustin. So exactly. it was very interesting. It was very interesting when I saw that, you know, uh, and I said, like, oh, wow, he spit at him. I'm like, okay, nah. I'm like, they were not playing turning him heel. 
No, like I said, and, and also, like I said, you've called it as well, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. But we get Bear Countries, Bear Boulder and Bear Bronson entering next, using power and tenacity of Grayson, who was sent to the floor. Jurassic Express, Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus entered to a huge pop. Jungle Boy sent Ortiz to the floor, followed by Santana and Luchasaurus finally dumped Benoni. Santana and Ortiz and Avalon and Benoni eliminated. Wow, proud and powerful. Gone yes, just oh like my that. God. Let me tell you something. When I saw that, first person came into my mind, I was like, I hope John is watching this. Because he's probably going to hear me complain about how they got rid of Proud and Powerful. I'm like, this is one of the best tag teams they had picked up in last two years ago, and they get eliminated. I'm like, I can't take it. Well, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, we see Jack Evans uh, with the elimination of Vance Spike not being involved in the match, while Marcus Stunt helped eliminate Evil Uno. The Butcher and the Blade, the private party, entered next. The former dispatching of Rose, followed by SCU's Christopher Daniels and Frankie Kazarian. As Luchasaurus was about to send them both packing Bear Country, eliminated the mask wearing Big Man, and then Butcher and Blade dumped Bear Country out. I think Bear Country actually looked uh, quite good in this matchup. And then we get Death Triangle's pack. And Ray Phoenix entered in the ring and immediately sent Mark Quinn and the blade to the floor. John Silver and Alex Reynolds entered to a thunderous ovation, eliminated Isaiah Cassidy. Um, I'll tell you what, Private Party should have stayed on impact, you know. Uh, Daniels and Kazarian eliminated <laughs> by Butcher. So Daniels and Kazarian getting eliminated. And, of course, this was brought up on commentary saying if they had lost their next tag match or lost their next match, they, they would quit as a team. But this wasn't counting. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 and you know what? It's logic. It's true because it's not an actual tag team match. It's a battle royal tag team. It's not a match. So even if they lose the, the or they don't win, you know the uh, the match. The at least the storyline where if they lose a tag team and stay st- still intact, you don't want to break up a team in a battle royal because then it's gonna be like, wait a minute, you gotta use logic. You know what I'm saying? So that part, I mean, I I'm glad that the commentary team made it clear. So yeah. at least, you know, that's what that's what I love about AEW. They make sure they're going to tell you, oh, this doesn't count, you know, um, or they're not going to tell you like what WWE does, that they'll tell you something one week and the following week you'll be like, well, wait a minute, I thought they said this, you know? So, but it, I mean, I like what they did. They let everybody know that SEU, you know, they did, they, they have another law. If they lose another match, they will break up with this count. And I guess they made it clear enough that it probably won't count because it's not an actual match. Uh, right, doubt. So, well, we get Phoenix and Pax teams remained intact with Jungle Boy and Silver representing their respective teams. That would be a fantastic fatal four-way match. Uh, we mm-hmm. see Silver and Pack teeing off one another with jarring strikes. Former getting the best of his point with hard kick to the chest. Pack oh, used man, Silver was It was just sick, wasn't it? You can see the red marks on Pack's chest, and that's kind of the, the action that he was taking. He delivered a jack snaps German suplex. Silver stayed off elimination from Pack, but Phoenix has the kick in packing the running along the rope uh kick that he does is my move of the year at this moment in time so oh yeah <laughs> i mean they, they, i'm telling you phoenix the only thing with phoenix that i have a problem with which well, we probably will mention it now in this match is that he does high risk and he comes at 100 miles per hour when he does those high risk and he put himself in a situations where he's going to get hurt bad one day but, yeah, but that, that running he's a master of that tightrope walk. Official. Yeah, he's he's a master at that. He's great when he just does that walk and then just uh, PK smacking your head with it. I mean, it, it, that's one of the best moves. 
And I think, yeah, I think that's best move of the year. I mean, I don't know I mean, anyone could top that. He runs a fast, faster across the top rope than most, you know, people run normally. Like it, it just shouldn't. Talk about the evolution of professional wrestling. You can see it yeah, with, uh, there, you know, there's no one that could do what he does. I, don't, I never see. Listen, I seen guys like Lance Archer, tightrope walk. Uh, I seen uh, who else? Uh, uh, if a Tasmo does it, you know, but no one walks those tightropes f- faster than him. Phoenix. No one. No one. There's nobody right. could do it like him. Well, Jungle Boy proceeded to use Pax momentum against him, sending him to the floor in a kind of shock elimination. And then Phoenix, with my second favorite move of the year, that dive through the second. We took, just talked about it. But it's like, oh, my God. I mean, if they, they need a speedometer when he comes out of that second, between the second and but third row. But you see how, listen, this is the second week in a row. And I saw it on Wednesday, I think, Wednesday or the week before. He runs so fast. He's coming like at 120 miles per hour to do a two-pace suicida. And he jumps and he does a, you know, a, a 360 and his quads land on the edge of the of the, of the railing. I'm like, he's going to pop a quad of a hamstring soon or later. This guy is just nuts. But, I mean, it's it's great. It's a great pop when he does it. But I think he, he's going to get hurt one of these days with, with the way he does that. But, uh, I mean... <laughs> He's but he's a great wrestler. I, I like his whole his whole um, wrestling skill style. Yeah, I mean it's just fantastic. And then another great talent, Jungle Boy, delivered a poison runner. Phoenix answered with a rebound kick, a clothesline followed, and Death Triangle earned the win. Uh, what were your thoughts on this matchup? The, this match, listen, I and I know a lot of people hate battle royals, and a lot of people complain. I hate battle royals. But the beauty, the beauty of these battle royals that AEW does on their pay-per-view, most of the time is going to start a story. Like we saw already the, with the Nightmare, um, whatever, Nightmare Combination, whatever the name was. Uh, QT Marshall now is going to, now is no longer part of the Nightmare family. So now the question is going to be, is he, this Wednesday, is he going to wrestle, um, uh, either Cody Rose or, or no, well, not Cody Rose, Dustin Rose, or is he gonna have to start feeding with Lee Johnson? That's great. I mean, we saw where Proud Powerful is at as far as them losing it. I feel that there's some, there's gonna be some type of change where they're gonna, they're gonna leave the inner circle. And I, and I'm predicting it right now because there was rumors going around Selena Vega will be dead manager. I'm saying this right now in your show, okay? <laughs> I'm saying that, I'm predicting it now. The best part was I already knew that the Death Triangle was going to win it because of the three-minute match. And, and I don't even think it was even three-minute against two jobbers that they beat like nothing. Now, the great part of this battle royal, sometimes you get face-off with certain individuals that you know you will never see them wrestle unless either one of them is a baby face, the other one is heel. The Jungle Boy and Phoenix uh, face-off was a great, great face off i mean I, I i wanted it to last a little longer so you can make the battle royal even better uh i think overall the whole battle royal was perfect i mean i know there was a lot of tag teams and the rules and everything but this was good it was a good battle royal to me that's just my opinion and i mean i i loved it i mean it, it lived up to the hype it, it probably even more 
Well, like I said, Jungle Boy with another great performance, but I didn't think I would enjoy this match as, as much as I did. And that really? ending would that ending would have done the Rumble proud. I mean, because, you know, you, you're thinking Battle Royals, tag teams, and I was just into it. And like I said, the, the interaction between uh, between the two would have been good enough for a Raw Rumble actual match. I'm going to give that a four out of five. What are you scoring it? I'm giving it a four and a half because... I mean, they were fa- and then that John Silver with Pac, that 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 face off right there. I want to see them wrestle. I did, I want matter of fact, there are two matchups now that I want to see. I want to see Phoenix against Jungle Boy one on one and John Silver against Pac. That would be. I think yeah. they they match up very well. I love like I said, Fatal Four Way with those four in will steal the show. Uh, one thing I did want to say, prediction wise, and I don't know if you might have put the wrong thing down, but here we've I've got you. Down as your picks for the winners of the Battle Royale. Who I had? Proud and Powerful. I did? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I must have been been drinking that day. I'd always start now. I went Death Triangle because, like you said, it was... You did win Death Triangle, right? I know. I checked the thing and I said, I pulled Proud and Powerful. Why? And I had Death Triangle in my head. But I said, you know what? Something is telling me to go Proud and Powerful because, again, I was hoping... They they get the win because of this whole energy because I because I'm really really invested in this inner circle thing, so I'm thinking storyline wise, they beat they become number one contenders, uh, and maybe be, uh young bucks lose the belts to MJF and Jericho maybe or you know uh the young bucks hold on to the belt Santana Ortiz faces the young bucks again and this time they beat them causing you know, some friction with the inner circle. See, I think logic, I think real big. So I don't know, but I had Death Triangle on Wednesday. I don't know <laughs> what happened Saturday? Now, like I said, it's 1-1 after three. Like I said, there's plenty to uh, play for still. Poll-wise, we had two polls because there's so many bloody tag teams. Uh, 50% <laughs> went for Proud and Powerful uh, on one of the polls. Uh, Death mm. Triangle got 33%, Dark Order 31%, Private Party with 29%. The uh, side elves had zero percent. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah, um, I mean because because Seidel was not the the brother Mike Seidel. I never uh, like I said they talked about he was from DDT, wrestled there with his brother. I never seen them wrestle. This is like what, the second time I seen them wrestle. And Matt Seidel, the last time I saw Mike Seidel in a tag team was with Ricochet in Japan. So you know, nobody really is going to be like, okay, yeah, the Seidel's, you know, so. (laughs) It's a shame they made the trip, really. But anyway, we get an interview (laughs) with Paul White where he offers a hint as tonight's big signing. Nobody here looking. Oh, who could it be? This huge signing by AEW. Anyway, uh, DDP and Al Snow in the crowd because, you know. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, up next, the AEW. Yeah, that's what I was saying, like, uh, um, Diamond Dallas Page looked like someone owed him money for his TDP yoga because he looked at piss. I'm like, and here's the crazy part about the Paul White thing. Paul White said, and he they kept you know, this whole thing with the signing, they kept tricking people because he said nobody could outwork him. So now during the week, Kurt Angle was made a, a video where he was making it look like he was the one who was going to sign it. I knew it wasn't Kurt Angle. Because of what Paul White said on Wednesday when he said is a Hall of Fame worthy person. So I know that Kerrang is already in the Hall of Fame. So I knew it wasn't him. But he did a tease video during the week. So when Paul White said, oh, nobody could 
outwork him. The only one that I remember that used to have that, you know, the, the three eyes was Kerr Angle. So I said, so it probably is Kerr Angle. So, I mean, it, it, then they have Diamond Dallas Page, look like somebody on money and did it be in the crowd. And then Al Snow was there. Don't know why. Maybe he has no job. I don't know. Well, I, I think maybe to cheer up DDP, Al Snow could have gave him head. Uh, <laughs> anyway, the AEW Women's World Championship match is next. It's Hikaru Shida versus Rio Mizunami. Shida was embarrassed five years ago by a very opponent. She is 288 days as champion. We've talked about the women's division an awful lot. Um, were you uh, excited for this match before I go into it in graphic detail? Well, at first I wasn't because I said, okay, so Sheeta's wrestling Mitsunami, uh, you know, what's the history, whatever. Um, and like I said, the ending, the finals of the tournament, I was disappointed because I was going for my girl Thunder Rosa. Thunder, you know, I'm a big fan of hers now. Uh, and, you know, so now you have this Mitsunami that I really don't know much about. But I remember seeing her double nothing. And it, when she wrestled Wednesday, she was playing a lot to the crowd. I'm not a big when it comes to playing to the crowd. But, you know, but then they spoke about the history between them two. And once they told the story, the history where uh, Miss Unami told Cheetah, you, we could have 100 matches. You still won't beat me. So now I'm like, OK, so now I'm getting listening to the story. I'm like, OK, so I really want to see how this goes. Um, and I think both ladies um, in this match, I think they gel well together because they hit, they know each other. So I think that's what made it a good match. Well, let's get into it. Early ear ringing chops set the tone for the match as did Shida's ferocious, oh. okay. hard hitting offense. The veteran Mizunami answered. Shida rocked the charge of Mizunami with a kick, then folded her up by driving a head first into the entrance ramp. We get a suplex back in the ring, followed as Shida scored a near fall. She then rocked her foe with a forearm, to which Mizunami answered with a barrage of headbutts. The clothesline followed before the challenger executed a devastating modified Death Valley driver for a near fall of her own. Uh, Shida then returned fire to live in a Tomoshi. Twisted smiles painted their faces of both competitors as they dared the other to unload with another strike. Mizunami delivered a uh, Urinagi followed by a spear. The challenger headed up top for a guillotine leg drop, but Shida kicked out too. And Excalibur did a superb job, not only on this match here, uh, but the women's tournament course will go in more details at the weekend. But it, that was the move that not only beat Aya Kong, but also beat, yeah. um, mm-hmm. beat Rose as well in, in the match. And I think to, to you know, when you're putting that out there and it kind of means more, doesn't it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the girl used the guillotine leg drop from the top rope. I mean, I was surprised. When she hit it, when she hit it, I thought it was over. I thought she was done because she came down and it's a beautiful guillotine leg drop. It's not sloppy. It's not, um, you know, oh, she missed up by two inches and almost hurt. It was good. I thought, honestly, I thought she um, she was going to lose. I thought she was going to lose the belt. When she got out of Tsuka, I was surprised. All right, down, and she'd have rocked Mizunami with a straight jacket suplex, but opponent fired up and delivered a lariat to the back of the head. She'd have recovered and delivered two falcon arrows, but couldn't score the win. Uh, the strikes were vicious at this point as well. Uh, the competitors oh, continued. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like the, they talk about laying it in. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. She hit her with at least ten knee shots in the back of the head and the front of the head. It's just you know. 
the competitors continue to score near falls, each come within inches of earning the victory, and then Sheeda delivered another time she, but Mizunami just barely rolled her shoulder off the mat to prevent this defeat. Sheeda added one last shot and put her opponent down and knocked out. Uh, this was unbelievable. We'll get on to that in a second, because after the match, Nyla Rose, Vicky Guerrero, Bit Breaker, Rebel were tactical battens until Thunder Rosa made the save. What are your thoughts on this matchup? This match, let me tell you something. The one thing about Sheeta, which I, I give her, I give her so much credit. Like this girl, you see her and you think, ah, she doesn't have the strength. This girl, Falcon Arrow, Mitsunami twice. I mean, it, isn't, it doesn't it didn't surprise me because she did that to Nyla Rose a couple of times when they wrestled. Um, I mean, Rio showed me a lot what she's made of. Um, the, again, those guillotine leg drops from the top rows were perfect. Um, and the match itself overall pretty much showed um, the story. You know, this is the day it goes. Uh, and, and I love how the commentating, especially Excalibur. I love Excalibur because he knows so much history when it comes to a wrestling match. He, he spoke about how they when they first met each other, uh, Rio beat the crap out of Ishida. You know, and now this was like a redemption for, for Sheeta because, you know, they wrestled with each other before and then they kept, you know, draws, you know, time limit draws and all that every time they face each other. So this match was good. I mean, it told a story and, you know, let's see where it goes. I mean, Rio really impressed me in this match. Um, I guess when I saw her Wednesday and playing to the crowd, whatever, you know, and again, it all comes down to chemistry when you wrestle your opponent. I think, I guess, probably of Nyla Rose and her was, I guess, the first time they ever met each other. But her and Sheeta, man, they, they rocked the house. I liked it. Uh, we'll talk about commentators. There's a lot of commentators that can take away from a match, but very few that add to it, and I think we see it at Scalibur. Uh, these two actually teamed up together at the very first Double or Nothing event as well, I think, on the, uh, the buy-in. Uh, so that was yeah. just kind of history that they've got. But women's wrestling has arrived on AEW pay-per-view now. We're actually getting it. And you can see it now with the performance of these two women. This kind of hard-hitting style that's kind of different to, to what most people think they are going to get. And then you throw in people like Thunder Rose and Britt Baker. And there's definitely potential to to go down that road with that. Uh, I thought it was a hell of a, of a matchup as well. Uh, what are you going to score that out of five? I'll uh, give that a four and a half. I'm going to be I'm gonna be honest. This this, I sat down. I enjoyed this match, especially me. I'm a big Japanese Japanese wrestling fan, and um, these women actually brought it in. They hit, it was hard hitting, especially the last part. I mean, Sheeta hit this woman with ten Nisha. I was counting it, and this woman kept getting up. I gotta give a, I gotta give her her props because even though she lost, she lost with dignity. Like she took almost ten knee shots. Front, back, I don't know. And the woman, and she could have put her away. So she finally did after the last knee shot. But it's well, just four and a half. And like I said, and, and the thing is, I'm going to give it a four and a quarter, but there were so many different things. She had to kind of, her pretending to pull on the rope and then the chops in the corner from Rio, which kind of looked a bit silly. And then you kind of get the viciousness of the match later, which shows that you can, you know, be multifaceted, so to speak, in a professional wrestling matchup. And it's just great stuff. Like I said, four and a quarter, four and a half there. Prediction-wise, um, R went Shida, Chokeslam Report went Rio. Who went Rio? You? You did. I did? Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you were definitely drunk. Yeah, when I, you think, did. I think I did Rio because 
I think at that time I'm thinking, well, Sheeta has had that belt for so long, you know. So I figure, um, you know, maybe they want a change of a champ, you know. But um, I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking on Saturday. <laughs> like I said, after four, it is 2-1 and plenty to go. By Sheeta got 86%. Jacob Grundy wanted Rio. Uh, and then we get uh, a preview for Double or Nothing. Of course, AEW's next pay-per-view. That is May 30th. And our next match is Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor versus Miro and Kip Sabian. Um, of course, we've seen some of the build-up on Dynamite with, with this. Uh, before we get into the match, what are your, kind of, your thoughts on uh, Miro and Orange Cassidy, so to speak? I lo- listen, I'm, I'm, I'm loving this whole Miro thing. He's, be- he's becoming Rusev again. Um, and, and, and the way the match started, I mean, at first it looked silly the way they're starting this feud. Uh, but remember, Trent was part of that before he got hurt. The Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor thing, um, you know, it's it, it, they're playing comedy stuff and, and like they they're poking the bear. And now you see Miro, the Miro that everybody expects him to be. And um, once you Speak about the match. I, I got my opinion on what's going to happen with this because uh, I was really shocked um, of how things ended. So, you know. Well, yeah. let's get into it. Yeah. yeah, let's get into it now. So, Miro and Kip Sabian, they attacked Chuck Taylor and Orange Cassidy prior to the tag team match. Uh, the unstoppable Miro sending Taylor crashing face first into a glass window backstage. Uh, we know he did a blade job with that, but still, it's a dangerous bump to take. No, but yeah. but he got he got cut with the glass because he tried to block it with his forearm, and that's why the blood was coming from his arm, not from his head. And then the blood started coming out from his nose because I think Miro ate him, you know, kicked him in the nose. <laughs> yeah. Well, the He's blood was sure. coming from his yeah. forearm. Uh, we see the gutsy Taylor demanding the match be started and demonstrated grittiness as he fended off both the best man and super bad until Cassidy made his presence felt inside Daly's Palace. Uh, Cassidy obliterated Murray with an orange punch but quickly found himself on the defensive against Sabian. Taylor re-entered the match and joined his partner in working over super bad until Murray rocked the Kentucky gentleman with a right hand. Cassidy fared well against Miro until accidentally wiping out Penelope Ford. Miro showed little concern for his partner's wife. Instead, <laughs> he, he threw Kip back in, told him to make the tag, and then flattened Cassidy with a roundhouse kick and applying the accolade finisher to Taylor for the submission victory. Um, what were your thoughts on this matchup? Miro looked great. Miro looked great. I, I, I mean, the, the well, he don't call it the accolades no more. He calls it the game over. Um, I love how he set it up. It's like, he sat on his back and made sure Taylor looked at his form and his fist and, and telling him, look, it's coming and you're seeing it right now. But I love the story was what the ending of the story. And like I said, I wanted to make a, uh, my, uh, my comment on this because it shows you right now that Rusev or Miro will no longer be part partners with Kip Sabian. I see it already because, you know, he showed no regards. The Penelope Ford crashed into, was it Taylor he put a crash into? Yeah, and, yeah, Taylor. And she got hurt. And Saban, you see him after the match, said, my wife got hurt. And he was like, he didn't, I think at one point he even uh, uh, tagged him, um, himself in. or it made, Yeah, he, he threw Kip in. To, he said yeah, to yeah, yeah. Him, him, yeah. Thinking, what's yeah. going on here, you know? Yeah, so. and, and like I said, the little look as well with Miro looking at him and you know, kind of going, 
looked like he was going to attack and he just grabbed Kipping close, you know, scrapped yeah, his uh, sure. hair. Like I said, we need that split sooner rather than later, don't we? Oh, know? yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. If it doesn't happen this week, it'll probably happen the next week. But it's, it's going to end bad for Kip Sabian because uh, um, Miro is just being a monster now. This is what everybody wanted, right? So now you got Miro right now. You ain't got the – he's the best man. He's the best man in AEW who, you know, he's going to hurt a lot of people. You got the old the old Rusev back. Uh, the thing is, though, I think this was more of a dynamite match than it was a pay-per-view match. But I think because of Miro, because it's kind of, you know, exposure, I think this is the kind of the start of something, and I think that's the reason – it was kind of put yeah, there. Well, it, well, if you think about it, look at the way the pay-per-view started, right? The pay-per-view started with the Young Bugs and MJF, right? And then you had that great uh, casino tag team rumble, right? And then you go and add up a, a, a Sheeta versus Masanimi or Masanima, whatever her name is. Um, and so they, well, they threw in that match. I mean, we knew there was going to be in the pay-per-view. They threw in that match to just... Have everybody calm down a little bit. You know, okay, we're going to pull through this match. This match is probably going to last six or seven minutes because we still have, you know, other matches. I think after that was the the big money match with uh, Paige and Hardy and the ladder match and then the explosion match. Uh, oh, no, actually, no, there was more than that. It was like there was other matches. So I think they put that there to calm down the fans a little bit, bring down their level a little bit because you don't want to wait out. The, the crowd, you know what I'm saying? Because remember, they got crowd in there. So, yeah. I think, I mean, I didn't see nothing bad of having them in there. Yes, it's a dynamite match, but when I throw it in there, just to, you know, calm the people down because already you had three great matches in that pay-per-view. No, I think that's out. But then again, this is the problem I'm going to get onto a little bit just about the, the length of the show as well. But I don't think AEW know what to do with Orange Cassidy either because it was one year ago at Revolution that he had that uh, breakout performance against Pac. And then since then, of course, a few with Jericho. And then we're kind of not sure what's going on. But out of five, I'm going to give that a three out of five. It was a standard matchup, and it was about Murray. What are you going to What are you going to give that? Yeah, I give it. I give it a three. But with with, with Orange Cassidy, I think what they did was, like I said, Jericho tried to, especially when he had that match with Pac. That's one of the best matches he ever had, even though he lost. But you know, um. They, I mean, again, he's a mid-card guy. He's a guy who probably could go after the TNT belt. You're not going to get anything more than that from him. So, you know, he's still part of the best friends, um, you know, tag team. I mean, but him by himself as a as a, as a single competitor, he's going to – that's the hot limit he's going. He's not going to go for the world title. He's not going to go for world tag team title. He probably could go for a TNT title. Now, you know, he's more like a comedic, comedic um, um, talent. So, Well, prediction-wise, we both went Miro and Kip this time. Um, so it's 3-2 after five. Uh, poll-wise, uh, 50-50. I'm not really sure why. Maybe the polls were broken. And then we get Chris Jericho and MJF <laughs> interviewed backstage. Chris takes issue with the ideas that they failed. He admits they lost and claims the inner circle is depleted now. But they're an army and they'll change their battle plan. They're going to have a war council on Wednesday. And MGF agrees that it's time for a change. The way they did it was MGF saying, yes, there's time for a change. Looking at Jericho and it's going to happen. We've You mentioned it earlier as well. Are they teasing or are we going to see the kind of end of the inner circle come dynamite? Uh you know, right now, you know what I'm hoping that doesn't happen is that Sammy Guevara comes back 
and you know, and Jericho gets kicked out of the inner circle. You know, I just want this group to break up already. Uh, the reason I want that is because again, probably powerful's in there. They should be the tag team. And remember that the tag team, the one who came up with the idea of having a uh, uh, becoming a tag team was Jericho. You know what I'm saying? And I think it was supposed to be Hager and Jericho at one point. That MJF started teaming up with with Jericho. So I feel it could be that Sammy Guevara comes back and confronts Jericho, and Jericho thinks that the inner circle is going to jump him, and Sammy Guevara turns on Jericho, and they kick out Jericho out of the inner circle. It could be that. Well, it's going to be interesting, and it will bring viewers, like I said, to Dynamite Wednesday. But back to the pay-per-view. We get the big money match, Hangman Page versus Matt Hardy. I've really enjoyed this story. And actually missed him switching out the contract originally in the bar. Because I remember us talking about this, and I didn't see I must have been paying more attention to Matt Hardy than I was to Page. Because he did switch the contracts at that point. Uh, which doesn't make him look like a fucking idiot. You know? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I... I I was like, how you did not see him change the fucking contract? Like, I, I don't understand it. Like, but 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 it was good though because again, this is uh, I think this whole Page and Hardy uh, feud. It, this is not gonna end here. This is this is gonna get bigger now. They got they were supposed to have a ten man tag team this past Wednesday. I don't know what happened. It was supposed to be Dark Order members with Page against Private Party and um, H two. H2O and Hardy, but I don't know what happened. They made it a tag team. So, um, but yeah, this is not over. This is not over at all. So, well, it's not even started yet. So let's get on to the action. Like we talk about him all over the place, beating him up with a stray punch to the ring post. Had Matt target it, looking to take away Page's buckshot. Larry, we see the stairs used to squash the hand, which was uh, a really good bump. And then we get, he, he stomps on the hand, he bit it, he twisted the fingers of his opponents, he continues his uh, onslaught. Page scored a near fall with a crucifix roll up and added the Death Valley driver for another. Hardy nearly under count at victory as Page struggled to recover on the arena floor, but the Bayface fought his way back into the squared circle. His onslaught bringing Page off the top rope with a powerbomb for two. Page finally built some momentum for himself with a picture perfect moonsault off the top rope, wiping Hardy out to the floor. And then Private Party made their presence felt as Paige began to roll. Uh, I was quite worried about this, but it's all right because the Cowboy deposited them to the floor and it allowed Dark, uh, Dark Order to make the save and wipe out Isaiah Casti and Mark Quinn. The Misfit faction then caught Paige on the apron uh, and allowing him to push him back in, hitting the buckshot lariat for the win. After the match, Paige embraced the group in a big hug. First off, yes, Page is Dark Order. I mean, just look at little Johnny's face. Look how happy Johnny is right now. You think um, he's part of Dark Order? What a feel-good moment. Oh, come on. He joined in with the hug. It's, it's, everything's fine. Yeah, but... <laughs> <laughs> Let me dream. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing. that Everybody wants Adam Page to be the leader of the Dark Order. Um, I mean, they make... I don't know. Every week I see them with them, I really want, I really want him to join them. I don't know why, but I just really want him to join them. Um, this is, I mean, this match was pretty good. It was decent. Um, and, I mean, the storyline behind it, I mean, again, you had to expect uh, Private Party to come out and, and do the thing. And Private Party looks very, you could tell, you could tell compared to when they first started working with Matt Hardy, now they're real, real stuck up, you know, very 
um, sophisticated, you know, type. But this match was pretty good. I mean, um, it was everything. I liked the story where um, Hammond Page uh, hurt his hand. Um, Matt Hardy worked on the hand for a while, trying to get the boxer lariat, um, you know, out of out of the match. But you know, I mean, it was everything that I expected. So you know, it was a pretty good match. Well, the thing is, Page is a really good worker, but I think one of the things that he's got going for him is that there's something just likable about him. And and when, you know, the whole Shawn Marcus thing of a babyface being beaten down, you feel sorry for him. And I'm actually behind Page, and I don't know if it's that's why I want him to join the Dark Order and everything's fine, you know, but I've, he's definitely got that about him. And this feud has helped Matt get more comfortable. Uh, but I still felt this was a very WWE-style matchup. Does that really? make sense? I, I just felt it was more kind of... Uh, like the way Matt was just going about his business up until the last couple of minutes, you know, up until when maybe Private Party came out. I yeah, I mean, Matt yeah, is doing that see, style. Yeah, when you see Matt, sometimes, yeah, it does, it does. Sometimes he does little things. You'll be like, this is like WWE, you know. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's his style right now. I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't see it that way, but I mean, I don't know. It, it, to me, I, I think the way he worked it. I mean, I, I like Matt, I'm, I'm, uh, evil Matt Hardy. You know, I think the match was pretty good. Um, I didn't see no problem with it. I mean, Paige, forget it. Paige, uh, I'm at Paige. I mean, I've been following since uh, he was uh, in Ring of Honor before he became Bullet Club and all that. And he always was a good worker. Uh, I remember him him versus Frankie Kazaria in a, in a strap match in Ring of Honor, which was a crazy match between them two. Um, you know, it goes to show you that, that Paige is going to be the future AEW champion. The yeah. question is when, because he's going to beat Omega, and, and yeah. we've talked about this before. You think? You think yeah, that's I, what I, I, mentioned, I mentioned this last year, and the story, what the way it is at the moment with Paige, is, is the fact that you know he came up short in a tag team match with Omega. He's always been kind of the loser, and he's going to be the guy that finally comes true, and it's going to be a hell of a story. And the way they're booking at the moment. It's looking like it's leading up to that point. It's yeah, going to take time. Here's, here's the problem. Here's the problem. So now Omega is supposed to be this belt collector, right? And I think they pretty much, because of the pandemic and all that stuff, they try, they, they're laying a lot of stuff. Um, again, this is one of the reasons why I want moves to win the, the, the belt. I mean, I, now I hear the TNA belt is a world title belt now. Um so, you know, if you're going to start this belt collector storyline with, with with Omega, um, then I like what they're doing with Paige where he's beating, like, you know, Mick Card guys, but they're tough and it's hard matches, whatever. But if you're going to do it, you got to make sure that the match, if he's going to beat Omega, the place for him to to beat Omega is at All Out. That's their the summer show. That's like the summer slam. All Out is the place where... Um, um, Paige wins the belt, but right now it's like the whole storyline right now with Omega is kind of being slowed down. You know. Yeah, I think there's a longer play with Paige in mind. Anyway, back yeah. to the match at hand. Uh, what are you going to score that out of five? Uh, I give it that a three and a half. It yeah, was three it and was a half. Three and a half. Yeah, it was. A, I mean, I I I expected. I, I think I expected a little more. I don't know why I expected a little more, but I, I, it, it was an all right match. It wasn't something like, oh, wow, you know. Um, it's like I knew Paige was going to win. It just, a, um, my thing was, I know Dark Order was going to get involved somehow. 
I have Matt Hardy beating Paige. I know that for a fact. Uh, because because this is about money. And and if, if you think about it, is we're talking about money, Matt Hardy. This guy's all about money. So what a best way to make Paige storyline, what we're just talking about, much harder is by taking his first quarter gains. Now, you know, Paige now gets multi-pressed. And now, you know, he's pissed off, you know, something. And then Matt Hardy's just going to keep messing with him. So it delays a little bit of him capturing that AEW title, but at the same time, it's good because then you could push Omega further, and this forbidden door that you got open now, you could work on a lot of storylines. So that's why Hardy winning that because you know he's money Matt. You know, so why not grab? Why not instead of giving out money, get some more money? You know, well, so. <laughs> well I completely agree. Um, well, apart from double uh, uh, went page, so it's four two after six, but I can understand with the idea. Poll-wise, Paige got 74% of the poll. We're getting the face of the revolution ladder match for a future TNT Championship opportunity next. And All Ego went All Elite as a former Impact Wrestling World Tag Team Champion joined the ladder match. So, of course, we knew we had our first surprise of the evening uh, in this ladder match to be the kind of mystery man. What were your thoughts when it was announced as, um, well... (laughs) All I I, I said when he came out, I was like, yes! Ethan Page in AEW. I did not want that man going to WWE at all because, you know, I, I, they, he'll be lost in NXT somewhere and he will get pushed to God knows when. So him coming to showing up at this uh, Face of the Revolution match, um, I mean, I just, the one thing I could say that I think they should have, um, they kind of, because of the surprise guess whatever, that kind of took a lot of the impact of him showing up at eight, uh, uh, at the revolution match so but seeing him in there um i was happy i was happy that I said, he lost a lot of weight he's not as stocky as he was in impact he looked like he cut down on body fat well we get into the match we see casey using the boom boxes vulnerable on one occasion while pay sandwich archer in the ladder penta delivered a backstab with a page bringing him off ladder to the mat below rose nursing a shoulder injury Delivered a missile drop kick to Penta. Penta answered with destroyer pole driver over the top rope and onto a ladder propped across the guardrail and the ring. Oh my god. I mean that is arguably a biggest star. That, that was an ugly, ugly <laughs> You're ugly doing that. Canadian destroyer. Ugly. You know? Just, I, I, you know, I don't know. That's money. Then not only that, I'm saying to myself, why are you doing a Canadian destroyer when we are known for a fact? That Cody has a uh, some kind of uh, hairline tear in his rotator cuff, and you're gonna hit him with a Canadian destroyer. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, they, always, was, they obviously don't nasty. like him. It was <laughs> yeah, horrible. It was a horrible Canadian destroyer. Uh, well, his body wrapped with saying Rose found himself taken to the back for medical attention in the ring. Sky brought Case off the ladder, preventing from grabbing a brass ring. Archer joined both Sky and Case on the ladders for Paige joined in the festivities. All four men battled atop the, the ladder until the murder hook. Madman was knocked off the mat, followed by Page in case the Penta stopped Sky from retrieving the ring in case they brought Page off the ladder with a powerbomb. Later, Archer rocked Sky with a jumping knee strike to the face that set the former world tag team champion off the top rope and threw the ladder at ringside. Holy shit. And then... (laughs) Nasty fucking... I'm like, wow. He broke the damn ladder in half. Um, I'm like, I can't. I can't. 
It's just, you know, Penta laid out Page and Case in the corner and flattered Archer with a crossbody. A one-armed Rose made his way back to the ring, ripping his opponent with a weight belt and obliterating Page with a crossroads. He scaled the ladder, but Archer met him and delivered a massive superplex. Case followed with a claim to flame elbow drop to the back of the American. Archer loaded his opponents, choke slamming everyone in sight and delivered a blackout to Case onto a ladder. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> I was like, Cass is going to get killed. Because I'm like, like delivering him a blackout on top of the ladder. I was like, oh, my God. There's no protecting him there. It's going to happen. No, uh, hell no. <laughs> but you got to give the guy props. You got to give the guy props. I mean, here he is in his singles match, in the biggest, and he takes that bump. That That's a crazy bump. Wow, unbelievable. Page stopped Archer from climbing, delivered a low blow and flattered him with an impressive razor's edge. Jake Roberts downed all ego a clothesline, but a super kick from Penta. The selling of it, he was on the hard cam as well. I saw Jake the Snake Roberts short clothesline eat the pace, and I'm saying, dude, the hell are you doing there? Get out of that ring. <laughs> um, Rose delivered a Cody cutter, but Penta recovered the American Nightmare's arm with a chair. Sky blasted Lucha Bro with the same chair. Sky slammed Cody's arm into the ladder and retrieved the brass ring for the win. What were your thoughts on that? You know, you know, it's funny. Uh, AEW finds a way to take shot at WWE. When I saw that big brass ring, I was like, wow. They actually taking shots at WWE with that, you know, that brass ring that WWE shows all the time. But let me tell you something. A lot of the, uh, especially Caster. He really impressed me for a guy who was a tag team competitor. Um, he took the crazy bump that we were just talking about with uh, from Lance Archer, the blackout. But here's the crazy thing. I don't know if you noticed during the match. Uh, when Cody first left to the back, you actually see Cody, R. Anderson, the medical staff standing by the entryway. Right. So I'm already looking at it and I'm saying to myself, he's coming back in. They're not taking him to the back. He's coming back in. But see, we could see it through TV. The, the Probably the crowd doesn't see it, right? Because they were standing out there for a good 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden, he just pops up. And then he takes a crazy suplex. I mean, Cody Rose late, uh, lately has been taking crazy bumps. And maybe he's not used to those bumps. Last week, he went through a uh, table with Shaquille O'Neal. So, I mean, and I knew he wasn't going to win, but... I like the way he was selling his injury, you know, even though his injury is legit. But I like uh, the, I, uh-huh. right, so I think uh, with Cody, like I said, with the injuries that he's got and the kind of everybody's expecting him to kind of win in a weird way because he got that kind of reaction with the fans of going, whoever's going against him kind of adds yeah. more atmosphere as well, you know? Yeah. And, 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 and I like the way what it did. I mean, I already knew Scorpius guy was going to win it again. For the simple fact, because of now his change of attitude now, and I noticed that he was in commentary this past Wednesday, and he was talking about, oh, I'm the face of the revolution. I'm like, this is what they should have done with Scorpio Sky months ago, because when Scorpio Sky was had a streak going at dark, I mean, he had like about seven weeks in a row, and they put him in the ring with Cody for the TNT belt. That was the week before he fought Brody Lee and lost the belt to Brody Lee. I think it was uh, the summer of last year. They kind of killed his momentum, you know. So this is the payback that they're doing. 
Do not be surprised if he does beat Darby Allen Wednesday. Well, again, interesting to set up Dynamite like that. I think Paige did all right. Um, again, one of my notes is they should stop trying to dig WWE with a brass ring. Just, you know, carry on with your own stuff. Um, yeah. It was it was good. There was too many times maybe waiting for spots. Uh, but it, it unfortunately, it just felt like another ladder match at the end. You know, nothing well, kind you didn't, of... You didn't, you didn't like the high spots? You didn't like... Uh, well, the Canadian Destroyer was horrible. But... Yeah. You didn't like the spot where uh, I think Scorpio got thrown through the through the damn ladder. Yeah, no, like I said, I like the both spots, but there's nothing. There's always something like that in a ladder match now. You know yeah. when. Well, it, like you expect it. Yeah, this is the thing. Like if Sheamus goes through a ladder, like you know when these guys do it, yeah, and and I think the kind of you, you me, you're going, God, they're going to do something crazy, and yeah. it's just it. And again, another thing, and again, it's not having to go AEW, but. It's like a battle royal and a ladder match on, on each show. Yes, it's four or five months apart and you need to put people on. But after a while, it's just the kind of you go, OK, ladder match, you know, well, it's a casino yeah. chip. Oh, it's a brass th- ring. Oh, it's, a, you know, I think the craziest I think the craziest spot in the whole match was the blackout, because I'm like, I'm, I'm thinking I'm thinking I'm thinking Cassidy was going to get out of it. I'm like, no, he's going to take the bump. And I was like, wow. And he took the bump like a G. I'm like. Yeah, you have to be crazy. A young guy like that. But you know what? These are these are matches that either either make you or break you. So you're gonna take the spot. And who knows? But now Bowen's out with a knee injury. You know, who knows? You know, if that could that could blow up the this this young man right now. Yeah, we're about to uh, we're gonna give that out of five. Uh I'll give it a a three and a half. I mean, like you said, you expect all these crazy bumps in a in a in a match, but that that Canadian Destroyer was like one of the worst spots they did there. I mean, again, the blackout on Caster was good, but it's like I already knew who was gonna win. Um, and the fact that Cody played his role to the T, uh, so you expected that he was not gonna win because of that injury. But I give it a three and a half. Yeah, I'm gonna give that three and three quarters out of five. Like I said, it's a it's a Couple of good spots in that. Everybody put their body on the line. I respect that. But any of the day, it just felt like another ladder match. Prediction wise, uh, WNR went Archer. Chokeslam report went Sky. He's back in the game. Four free now <laughs> after seven. Uh, poll wise, uh, 52% went for the mystery man. So they thought Paige was going to win, I guess. Um, the host Jimbo said, My boy Lance Hall. Hoyt has been saying his prayers and taking his vitamins. AEW needs to build this piece into the monster he is. And Bear and Chucky T said Sky. Uh, and then up next, it's the big signing announcement. The commentators have hyped it up. Uh, everybody has hyped it up. You know, uh, AEW fans were saying it was Punk, it was Lesnar, it was Cena. Um, I said Kurt Angle. Your choice was uh, Christian, of course. Uh, and also, we asked people on Twitter who their choice would be and who, who, you know, it could be. Um, out of the polls, um, well, Kurt Angle got 33%, Christian got 25%. Uh, Kelsey said Jeff Hardy. Uh, Bruce said, imagine if Brock Lesnar showed up. And Mr. J Wrestling Hill said Cassius Ono. Well, it was Cassius Ono? What was he thinking? Well, Justin Roberts announced AEW's late signee as it's Christian Cage. Chokes their report got it right. It's Christian Cage. Um, 
He then walks up to podium on the stage and grabs his contract, bringing it into the ring and signing it without a word. Done. Um, what were your... I mean, come on. You, you got the right one. Well done for that. Uh, what were your reasons behind it and what were your thoughts of, of his appearance? Because Christian's a great talker and he just signed his contract and just went. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked Christian Cage because, like I said, during... Since Paul White mentioned something on Wednesday about was a Hall of Fame worthy, the the internet and the social media went berserk. Everybody started, you know, assuming that it was CM Punk, uh, Brock. They even went Brock Lesnar. They even had Lita in there. And then they had Christian. Now, when they mentioned Christian, I say, okay, it could be a possibility, Christian, because Christian has a history with Impact Wrestling. He was a former NWA World Champion in Impact. I think it was two thousand and. Seven, eight, I don't remember what year it was. Um, so I say Christian. Then I'm reading um, through uh, Wrestle Talk and, and, and uh, Fight for Select that uh, WWE didn't sign him, that the talks didn't go through, whatever. And, and I'm saying, okay, this whole thing with who it is is driving me nuts. My best guess, I'd rather have Christian Cage. My biggest fear, John, you know who I thought it was going to be? Right back. I was like, please do not bring right back. <laughs> Into AEW, so I and, and like I went to watch this show and I was like, I'm gonna get disappointed. I'm gonna get disappointed. It wasn't missing Christian. I was happy with it, but the part about I will over uh, uh, overwork everybody. I'm like, since when that's been his mo? He never said that, you know. Um, he always talked about his peeps. If I'm correct, you know, you know. Um, so. Christian in there is a good move for the simple fact because he has experience. He's been in the business for a while. He could help the younger talent. I don't see him as a big uh, a guy who's going to be in the world title picture. I could see him in big storylines, but it'd probably be Mick Carter type. I mean, it's better than Ryback. That's all I can well, say. This is TNA. No, I'm joking. Um, weirdly <laughs> enough, though, three pages and two cages in AEW at the moment. I'm sure they could do something with that. Um, we've got. Oh, um, yeah, that's right, because they got Brian Cage and Christian Cage. Yeah. And they got Ethan Page and Hangman Page. And, so. and DDP, Diamond Dallas Page at ringside. Yeah, there you exactly. go. But he, was up, uh, he was upset, Polly was there. There's too many pages. Yeah, he's like, fucking hell, come on. No, but, uh, anyway. but, but you know what's the great part about it? He came out with his uh, TNA. Um, music that's why when i listened to the music it sounded like kurt angle old music in tna but then i heard those beginning i said wait a minute that's case so he still had ownership of that of the of his of his entry from tna well technically christian does check all the boxes he's unquestionably a big name he's definitely hall of fame worthy but the problem is the unevenness i think of this announcement i mean the last few signing the company made was the big show and they casually announced that on twitter on a sleepy wednesday afternoon and now with the hype before a major pay-per-view i mean like you said the AEW fans were saying it's going to be brock lesnar it's going to be cm punk it's going to be batista uh it may be unrealistic but it warranted it considering how casual AEW was with paul white uh, i think if it, if it was the other way around and big show had been announced at the pay-per-view and cage on a wednesday would that have been a bigger announcement no because if people are going to look at big show like okay why are we signing a 50 year old guy you know, and who, who, you know, who's in and out of the ring. I mean, he looks in great shape, whatever, but it would have not been no big hype. I mean, uh, 
Christian, reason Christian Cage because it's okay. He's not something you're gonna jump for joy, but he could still go. He could still go in the ring. You know, he could still give you good matches. You know, and it's now is a different environment. You could wrestle with younger guys. You could go into the ring with anybody there, depending on what story it is. You could have a Christian Cage against Brian Cage. You know what exactly. I'm saying? Battle so, of cages in a cage. But, yeah, if it would have been the other way, yeah, exactly. It would have been, it would have been, it would have been a different scenario if they would have made Paul White the big signee, you know, you know, and you, you would have been like, what? Like everybody, boo, get that shit out of here, you know. Instead, um, it was kind of more like, oh, yeah, yeah, everybody was like, <laughs> everybody like, yeah, Christian Cage, okay, yeah. you know, that's what I'm saying. The Ethan Page, the Ethan Page surprise. Didn't get that big time respond because people were waiting and in yeah. astonishment who was gonna be the big signee. So that's well, like I said, it's 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 Christian and uh, I love Christian. I've loved him for a long, long time. Uh, it's just quite funny that you know they kind of hype this up and it is Christian. And like I said, he's gonna outwork everybody, so it should be good. But uh, we get into the action, and the co-main event is a street fight. Sting and Darby Allen versus Brian Cage and Ricky Starks. No match in the history of wrestling has had more build-up, as it seems, than this one. Uh, we see Taz join in the commentary. We get Cage and Starks get into a neon green supercar and drive to a said location, finding some spotlights and a big industrial fan in a warehouse where also sits a dilapidated wrestling ring and, of course, referee. Uh, we see Sting driving to the location, an army of men in hoodies and Sting's makeup, and Darby skateboarding to the location, hitching a ride on Sting's trucks. They arrive and get in the ring, the Sting goons surround the ring and pound on the mat. And uh, it's like we're at the... It's, just, it's, it's absolutely mental. What were your thoughts on the arrivals, first and foremost? Because it took you there. <laughs> the, the arrivals, the arrivals. when, when I first saw there was going to be cinematic, I was a little like, oh, really? It's going to be cinematic? But the introduction, the way everything was set up, it, it was cool. I liked, I liked it. It was, it, it, it was like, this is like, um, like Darby Allen, um, uh, environment guys in masks. You don't know who they are. Hoodlums. You know the fact that Sting was driving this black pickup truck. I laugh because Tessa, his old pickup truck, as much money as he made in his career. Um, Darby. It reminded me of a, a superhero type thing. Like the the big superhero got this big giant vehicle and this guy is in, in a skateboard or in a, like a gliding right next to it. So I like the whole introduction and the way it started and the whole black and white. There was no color. It was just black and white. Made it more eerie. And I mean, they said street fight. It looked more like a warehouse fight. But uh, <laughs> but, 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 but the beginning, it was good. I like the way they started. Well, like I said, it starts with Darby springboarding off the wall, but Cage catches him and throws him out of the ring. And we see Cage overpowering and punish Allen, throwing him through a door, while Sting threw, uh, proved he didn't need his trademark baseball bat to neutralise Starks. He then hunted him down, but meanwhile, Cage hoists vertical suplex and then just casually walked up a flight of stairs and then dropped him onto oh a trash can. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, that guy takes bumps, I'm telling you. Thanks. I mean... Go, go ahead, because I got I, there was one part he did. Uh, he looked like Spider-Man climbing up the wall. But it's just the power of of um, Cage. Oh yeah, you see you seen st- when he grabbed him by his back. Yeah, he, he was literally holding him and walking up. Like he was a briefcase. 
He just picked them up like nothing. Like he's going to work. Uh, Sting saved Derby, and Sting makeup looks awesome. Of course, half Sting, he had the half Derby design, which which really oh, fucking Oh, yeah, that out. was cool, yeah. It was real cool. I like That's that. I, I liked it because um, it's like Derby reminds him of him. So, it, I mean, the whole... The other thing, the guy, all the guys with a with a mask on. I think with I think the mask will have Sting and have Darby. I'm correct. That I mean. And, what, it, and the thing is with Sting is that he doesn't change his makeup often, so you knew it was kind of big occasion. And starts yeah. using a barrel to get Sting down, but even that didn't work. Cage recovered from a table spot to drive Sting into a brick wall. All while Powerhouse Hobbs and Taz's son Hook double teamed Allen, the Joe sent him crashing through a pain of windows that looked incredible that, that looked, looked that looked like it hurt yeah i mean he threw them right through the pale windows and i'm like what the heck he just take crazy bumps i mean i'm surprised he didn't get cut well team taz focused their attack on the icon cage blasted sting with a shovel had the legendary competitive in peril before alan recovered and tossed him the black baseball bat and i like talk about it's like uh a uh, superhero or a Jedi, you know, and he finally gets his lightsaber and then yeah. he's just going, going yeah, to town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hammer and toe. Yeah. Um, going to it and he uh, pummeled the opposition with it and then Alan fell several floors through the air, wiping the hills out with a coffin drop. Um, that bump as well, the, the, the fall from that, just again, looked incredible. And then uh, back in the ring, Sting looked for the Stinger Smash and starts, but Miss starts answering with a spear for near fall. And then Sting recovered, reverse Starks, and lived the Scorpion Death Drop for the win. What were your thoughts on this? Let me listen. And I said this on Twitter on Saturday night when I saw the match. This is one, as a matter of fact, this is the best cinematic match I've seen since the cinematic match started, like, what, about five years ago? Um, the way they set it up, the way it was done, um, again, with, with Darby climbing up a brick wall like spider-man and they're just dropping himself on top of everybody it, it was crazy i'm like yo what did this kid cannot do and then the crazy spot where he he must have been like two flights up when he elbow dropped brian cage through a, and then landed on the bottom or whatever this was one of the best cinematic match. As a matter of fact i think this was the best match in the whole pay-per-view so i'm like you know, the way I looked at it at that time, I'm like, well, this explosion match better be top this because even though it was cinematic, um, you know, it was it was pretty good. I liked the whole thing. Like I knew the team Taz, Hood, and and, and Brian and Hobbs was gonna come out and um, how you call it and interfere in the match because yep. it's a street fight. You know, um, you, these guys are gonna get involved. So. It, it, I mean, again, that cinematic. I don't think anybody could top this. I, well, I want to see anybody tip top this cinematic match. No, it made, made sense to have cinematic match. Not only could it help Sting, but it all set up for the main event. But this was brilliant. And, and one thing I couldn't have asked for more. One thing I thought after this, and I posted it on Twitter as well because it brought a tear to my eye, is that we could have had Undertaker versus in a cinematic match, and it could have worked. We, we've oh, yeah. got proof of it now. We've got proof of that match at Revolution. Of course, Young Taker in Boneyard. We had the opportunity and they didn't give it to us. Uh, and that's a sad thing. But again, what a match. This is five out of five for me. What are you going to score it? Yeah, uh, five out of five. I mean, like I said, I, I saw it. And then and here's the best part what AEW did. AEW did never mention. I, I think I've been talking about it for like 
weeks about is Sting going to take a bump? Is Sting ready to take a uh, Is he could be able to wrestle? I said he it can't be in a regular regular uh, street fight where with getting taking bumps inside the daily plays or whatever. No, they never mentioned this was going to be cinematic. Never. No, I, I've been following this for the last four weeks. They never mentioned about this being cinematic. Again, when I saw it, it was going to be cinematic. I was like, oh, it's going to be cinematic. But the way they set up everything, the introduction, the way Cage and, and, and Starks were in the car, landed in this warehouse, they walk in. Now you got, they're showing um, Sting coming in with the car. You see Darby right next to him. Or going through the skateboard, finally catches up with Sting, hangs out to the back of the pickup truck. They go into the building. You cannot, the way everything was set up, you cannot do it any better. Than, I, I want to see what cinematic matches either WWE or any other company top this. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a cinematic match. I've, I've not enjoyed one as much as, like we said, WrestleMania uh, last year when it came to Boneyards and the Firefly Funhouse. And this was fantastic. Uh, Prediction-wise, we both went Sting and Allen. So it's 5-4 after 8. Poll-wise, Sting and Allen, 87% of the vote. There is no uh, surprise, really. And then John, uh, Don Callis joins the commentary for the main event. Uh, we're going to get into this right now. First, when they said barbed ropes, but the ropes are still there, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. But I can I can see why they kind of left it there. But it, in your mind, was the free size with just barbed wire and no ropes, yeah? Uh, that part confused me. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I've seen barbed wire explosion matches from Japan. And first of all, there shouldn't have been no ropes at all. No ropes. Nowhere near those barbed wire. Those barbed wires should have been just barbed wire. So I say, okay, maybe they're playing safe. You don't really want to have somebody have their half of their body shred to to, to pieces, you know? So because I, I started saying, where are they going to enter if the whole ring is bar wire, right? But then I saw the open area. I said, okay, all right, I'll let you slide on that one, you know? Um, but you know, and then the, the I was looking for the the mines or whatever they call it, explosion pads and all that. And I'm like, this does not look the way they do it in Japan. You know, um, it's different. And so. also with the fans being so close. I mean, we, we can have respect to, you know, we can we can reference this as well. Like with these types of matches, you know, in Japan, it was like kind of massive stadium. And, you yeah. know, the fans were not close to exposure. And I started thinking the people in the first couple of rows watching the action should really kind of move back a little bit. But they they moved them back. They moved them back, but it wasn't far enough. And that's how I knew. Because they had, there was one part of the show, uh, Jada Carhill sitting in the crowd, but they weren't pushed all the way back. And that's how I started saying, well, this is not going to be that C4 explosion. Because yeah. there's no way in the world you're going to have a C4 explosion with people that close. And then I see the, the referee with his raincoat, because that's what it looked <laughs> like, a damn white raincoat. And I'm like, no, they, they, this is not going to be like the way in Japan. I thought it was Breaking Bad that he was, you know, dressing up as. But, you know, anyway, we see the opening moments of the exploded barbed wire match uh-huh. between Moxie and Omega. And they avoid the razor-sharp wire surrounding the square circle. Moxie got the first up round with a belt, blasting the champion with kendo stick to the back. His advantage was short-lived as Omega triggered the first explosion of the match, sending the challenger back first into the barbed wire. That mm. looked great, didn't it? You know, that yeah, first yeah. explosion set the tone. You're thinking, wow, that's that's cool. Mm-hmm, yeah, they, they, and once I, 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 that's what I kept 
waiting for us. And I want to see who hits the bar wire mat, uh, bar wire first, and how the explosion is going to look. And it was good. It was good at that time. Well, Moxon has his lower leg, which Omega immediately targeted. He trapped a bloody Moxie in the figure four, looking for submission. Moxie answered by grabbing a wire, wrapped chair, and sawing away his opponent's leg. Oh, I that was that. great. Ooh, <laughs> I saw that. I was like, yo. I was like, I saw he grabbed the chair and he started, like, grading. I was like, oh, oh, my God. I had my little, I had my 13-year-old daughter watching this match. She's also <laughs> watching watch it. She was watching it. She was like, I said, you know, watch this, watch this. <laughs> well, Omega tried for a snapdragon. Moxley fought out, but the cleaner sent him into the barbed wire board, cracking it in half. That looks foley s because he's struggling to get out of it. You can see the the wire cutting into him, and then oh, Moxley, yes. the crimson mask as well. He was bleeding. He uh, was bleeding like a sweat hog. <laughs> yeah, well, then we see a moonsault followed for two mox in a moment of desperation sent omega into the wire twice detonating two explosions again and at this moment in time as well that's crazy because he hit it twice i think back to back he hit it and explosion in his face i like oof well moxley sent omega to another wire board driving him down with a suplex of his own uh, he wraps a wire around his own arm and tries for a clothesline only to eat a snapdragon then another uh, this is the thing, though, because a couple of things. Where first off, when Omega went through the board, he'd only gone through like a quarter of it, which probably ended up being a little bit worse because you couldn't have that much protection. No, and then, yeah. And then when Moxie wrapped the barbed wire around his arm, I think the commentators forgot when he closed lines Omega afterwards that he still had it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't mention nothing about it. He, he closed lined it with the barbed wire, and I'm like waiting for it. Okay, are they gonna say anything about the barbed wire? They just closed lined them with, but he didn't say nothing. So. Uh, Omega drove his foal into the ropes and they another explosion before sending the explosive effect on his eyesight. He asked for a bottle of water and, of course, that came in as well. Uh, moments later, champion of challenger were introduced to one-third of triple hell as Moxie delivered a paragraph shift off the apron onto a large bed of barbed wire, complete with more pyro. This was incredible. And if you look at the replay, one little uh, misposition or a second later, a Moxie would have been caught right under it, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then Omega got caught. He busted his, he started bleeding like a swell hog also because his head hit that bar wire from and the board at the same time. He went head first. I was like, wow, he took a big bump on that. And then oh, this the, is... the oh, fact that, that, that the fact that Moxley's wrestling with no shirt, okay, yeah. and you went and did that move and you pull Omega's head, head first to the board and the bar wire. And you land on your back with no shirt. I mean, he was screaming, trying to get out of that board. I was like, "Oh my god!" I felt the pain. Uh, honestly, it was it was brutal at this moment. Time, it was brutal. Back in the ring, Moxley used a spool of barbed wire on the now bloody Omega. A pile drive followed as the commentary team sold the countdown to the ring exploding at the 30-minute mark. Uh, I quite like that as well, the pacing, because then Moxley heard it and realised, and then was trying to put Omega away, of course, you know. Uh, Omega delivered a consecutive V-triggers and added a one-winged angel. Moxley hit the ropes during the pinfall with not an explosion that blinded Omega. That's fucking brilliant, because no one kicks out, but the, the visual as well, it just worked perfectly, didn't it, you know? Yeah, 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 because he hit the one-winged angel, and then by him kicking, which is logic, again, using logic, makes the match even better because he kicked, you know, him trying to get out or probably slightly get out. He kicked the the, the, the wire and set off the explosion, which was a good spot. I think all rope breaks should be like that now. 
I don't mind seeing those matches. It's here too. I'm just like, you know. Um, he said, <laughs> <laughs> it's every time. The Good Brothers made the save and gave Omega an exploding barbed wire bat, as you do, uh, that he used on Moxie, but that could not keep him down. And again, we, we've seen this kind of gimmick used before, but quite impressively. Uh, and then Omega delivered a one wing angel on a chair and earned a hard fall win. At this moment in time, fantastic. What a bloody brutal match taking it to the very next level. But after the match, Omega and the Good Brothers beat and handcuffed Moxley down. The countdown clock on the screen and Eddie Kingston hit the ring, fending off the hills and covering Moxley up. Of course, this has been a long storyline of Kingston, you know, Moxley saying to Kingston, I'm not going to give up on you, you're my friend. And then finally Kingston realising Moxley's his friend and coming out to protect him after this, this, this huge explosion is going to go off. And oh, then, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a child's birthday celebration. It was like four sparklers going off and then a little explosion afterwards. Uh, what were your thoughts when this happened? Uh, listen, <laughs> I know me and my roommate was like, yo, this is look like a 4th of July little firework sizzles thing. And I was like, what the hell's going on here? The... Okay, I understand what they were trying to do. Uh, I'm going to break it down real quick here. So, Omega goes and he uh, handcuffs Moxley. His plan was for this big explosion to come. Now we're going to put Moxley out of wrestling for good. Because once this explosion goes, whatever. Eddie Kingston comes in because, they, you know, they're friends for years and all this stuff. So, now he's trying to come in, save Moxley. Let's go, let's go. He can't. So now he's expecting a big explosion. The explosion doesn't happen. Okay. So now we're disappointed. The story behind that big not that explosion not going off is more saying Omega failed to do a, you know, because supposedly this was his, um, he was the brainchild behind the explosion thing, and this part failed. They didn't explode. So Moxley's still around. As long as he's still around, you know, he's going to have to watch his back. The part that they messed up was when Eddie Kingston covered them and the thing didn't go off, Kingston acted, when the thing went off, fizzle, Eddie Kingston acted like he was unconscious. And in my head, I'm like, the thing didn't explode, so why are you playing it off like you're unconscious, like a big explosion come out? So it made it look more bad than it really was. You understand what I'm saying? So, uh, even though after they, they claim Moxley's spoke out about, you know, how he was happy about this stuff and about the match and how uh, Omega failed to detonate the explosion because he's an idiot, blah, blah. So that was the plan. But I guess somebody forgot to tell uh, Eddie Kingston, oh, don't play like you getting unconscious. Just, you know, act like it's going to explode, but it doesn't explode. Then you're like, oh, okay. And then you help your friend. So, well, it's obviously something went wrong there, you know. We, yeah, we can yeah. tell after the show went off the air, Moxie realizing the weakness of the blast, broke from kayfabe and responded to the crowd saying, "Kenny Omega may be a tough son of a bitch, but he can't make an exploding ring worth shit." And then Tony Khan spun the unintentional dud into part of the story, saying, "I think we're all lucky that bomb going off at the end didn't really hurt anybody. Kenny's a big master plan. He built a dud. Who would have thought he would have drew a big plan with crayons and a bomb might have failed to take out both guys." And then he's saying, well, what did you want both of them to uh, be blown up? Um, yeah, but then why Eddie Kingston's playing like he's unconscious? 
So that's like I, I, a, I don't understand. I, I completely agree. The Eddie Kingston thing is, is completely stupid. You know, when it comes to it, he should have just got up and maybe no snow sold it or just you know picked up Moxley or whatever it is when it comes to that. But the problem is with AEW saying, oh, it's the most brutal match. And it was one of the most brutal matches that we've seen in a very, very long time. But when you say exploding, and you and I have watched, like we talked about, watched plenty of Japanese you know, uh, wrestling, we've seen plenty of explosions. Yeah. That was not it. And when you say, well, would you expect them to blow each other up? And, you know, WWE have a lot of people, of course, you know, got problems. But when it's like Randy Orton the Fiend, and it's like the loser will be set on fire, and you see the fiend set fire, and you go, "Well, that's well, too well, actually far." It was a du- actually it was a dummy, but but they were yeah, set but, on fire. But you saw him set on fire. You didn't, you know what I mean? If they could have had two dummies, the only yeah. two dummies in the ring were AW was actually Moxley and Kingston for kind of not selling it because they could have done that and then had a huge explosion. They could have edited that. You know as well as I do with the tricks and everything like this. You could have told the live crowd, "This is not what's going to happen on TV." And yeah. and the thing is. This is a problem because, you know, I think Vincent Mann said that only people only remember the ending for it. And it's a yeah. shame because it was, I mean, talk about the match, except for the, you know, the horrible thing that happened at the end with the Shockmaster-esque fuck up. Um, what were your thoughts <laughs> on the, what were your thoughts on the actual oh, matchup itself? Oh my God. Every time you say Shockmaster, I remember that, that whole flair for the gold. Uh, overall, the match, I would give it a four and a half. Let's cut off the part of the dud went off because that happened after the match. I'll give it a four and a half. Um, I mean, it lived, I can't say it lived up to the hype because it did explode when you touched the bar wires, but it didn't live to the hype because the ending was a dud. You know, the, the part where the ring was supposed to explode, it didn't explode. Uh, I mean, if he was run, if he was running with the fact that Omega was an idiot and didn't know how to do an explosion, uh, complete explosion of the ring, then why you had Eddie Kingston come out? And that's the part. And that's the thing. That's the part that messes it up. But I think overall, the match itself was a four and a half. I like. Yeah, it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it a four and a quarter. I think it was a very, really brutal matchup. I mean, if you're gonna count the ending, it's like a one. But like you said, it's yeah, it's not yeah, the end. The match the itself. Ending, yeah. And, and, and there's a zero. And it's a shame. It's a shame, though, that these guys yeah. put their bodies on the line and, and sacrifice so much but, to, to to never get remembered. But but see, again, you know, it's, it's a different story if it's a company that's been around 15, 20 years. Then you'll be like, you're a major fuck up. You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, they, they're going to have to learn. They're going to do mistakes down the down the line. And I know a lot of people online were like, oh, it was a dud, whatever. And especially WWE fans. Because WWE fans love criticizing AEW. But they don't bring up the part of the eye versus eye Seth Rollins Mysterio match where a little ball, uh, eyeball came out of plastic. And nobody mentions that. So, you know, they're going to have to learn. They're going to learn from the mistakes. Uh, and Tony Khan has to crack down on... You know, guys um, taking creative ideas on their own. You got to put a limit to certain things. Okay, guys, you know, so because to me is somebody didn't go and tell Eddie Kingston it's not really going to be an explosion. You you got to go in there, cover him, pretend it's going to explode. And it does explode. You're going to look around like in a shock, like, oh, my God, you know, I thought it was going to explode. But it didn't do that. He he 
played it off. And then Tony Khan talking about, oh, you, you wanted two people get exploded. Then why would you, why would you even advertise this? It makes no sense. This is, this is a problem. It's all about the kind of honeymoon period for AEW kind of being over. They hyped up this huge Hall of Fame signing and they, they hyped up the match and it kind of didn't pay off in the end, you know. And this is the thing. It's not, it's not an issue. Uh, first off, prediction-wise, we both went Omega. Final scores, 6-5 in predictions. But with Christian and your guess, I'm going to give you a point for that. So it ends in a draw. All right? So that's, <laughs> that's fair enough. <laughs> Don't worry, I'll get you. I'll get you on the next one. <laughs> it's just double or nothing. But that's uh, the thing. Yeah, Listen, t- I mean, what do you think about the whole as as a whole pay per view? What is your thought? What do you think it was? I mean, I mean, to me, I think it was a decent pay per view. You know, um, the only thing that I can say that messed up was that part, the dud. Um, I think for me, uh, I get, uh, we'll score out of 10. You know, first off, you know, in the match, match of the night is easy. It's Sting versus Darby Allen. Yes, you know, that, that, that was a great match. Um, but um, you know, the Omega, I think the Omega, the Omega and, and, and Marshley match could be number two. Yeah, and then you had uh, Shida and Rio, which was a great match, yeah. and then maybe the Battle Royal afterwards. So, you know, on paper, it's not bad. I mean, I would probably give it an 8.5 out of 10, only because, and, and this is only a couple of things, for me, it's just too long. And the Battle Royal and the ladder match, and yes, like I say, you need to get the talent on the card, but you just feel like when it's four hours long and then there's a, there's a half hour of, of buying, I, just, I don't have I, let's, I, I don't have a problem with being that long because remember, it's it's one thing if they do uh pay per views every month, like WWE does a pay per view every month and their pay per views like what three now they're doing it three, but they were doing pay per views before four four hours every every month, um, and I think when you get a chance to bring you know to get everybody in in a pay per view because you only do it like. Well, they got like four four pay-per-views every three months, something like that is. Um, you know, I don't mind. I don't mind. You know, and if uh, if if you're if you watch every pay-per-view and you're constantly watching pay-per-view probably three or four times a month, yeah, it becomes a like a, you know, oh, I don't want to watch it's too long, you know. Um, but but I, that's I think just, with sorry, but I think with with Dynamite, you know, Dynamite is not just you know back back in the day you have you kind of. You know, your show that was on, that was for the kind of job match and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I think Dynamite, you know, especially when you look at the last, you know, Dynamite we had with uh, Shaquille O'Neal and Cody, these are big events. So it yeah. feels, you know, like big events. So when it okay, comes so, to pay-per-view. So you think they should have had the Shaquille O'Neal match and the pay-per-view instead of having, I, like, the Mero and Kip Sabian? I, I, would have, I would have replaced that. I, the ladder match I would have had and maybe the Battle Royal on the, the buy-in. And, you know, and had something like this, because the thing is, is like, will a buy-in, will a battle roll maybe made a little bit of sense off the show? I'm not complaining how this, I mean, the Bucks came through in the end, but it's just, this is the thing of when you watch, trying to watch as much wrestling as you can, and it's like, right, okay, this is maybe, can it keep a live crowd for that amount of time? And yes, like I said, they only do it once every three months, but even the people in attendance, can they keep a crowd? I, I think I think they, well AEW I think they could and the reason I say that I, I think if if you've been watching AEW as long as we well we I'm sure we both was watching it for as long as it's been around when they used to have the pay per views 
they pay per view. Uh, they crawl is loud. Even on Dynamite, they crawls were loud before the pandemic. Um, I think they could still have a live crowd, but they cannot be doing these mistakes. That's 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 the thing. If you're gonna have a show, um, a show, right, and then you're gonna have an ending like this, that's gonna turn off fans from coming live to these to these pay per views. You know, I mean, good example was the All Out event last summer. That was one of their worst pay-per-views, and that's one of their biggest pay-per-views. I think that's one of the worst pay-per-views they had since their existence. Um, them, um, I think their problem is what I'm looking at. I, if they stay away from overbooking the the, the the matches, like I understand the 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 battle royals are not uh, something that you may like or the ladder matches. I think, like I said earlier, there's some of these battle royals and, and thunder, uh, um, thunder. I don't know why I say thunder. These uh, table ladder matches, they bring up other stories, you know, so they create other stories. But they gotta get away. If they're gonna have a pay per view this long, you cannot have these f ups like what happened with the little dud that happened in the end, because people are expecting more, and you gotta go out with a bang. You can't go out with a dud. No, no pun intended. That's exactly what happened. You you started off with a bang and went out on a dud. So they they get they gotta stay stay away from that. And also to have pay per view worthy matches and not you know if you're gonna have a three or four month build up to a pay per view, actually have matches that are gonna be there with kind of good build on them as well. It's like the Jurassic Express and the FTR, you know, with Tully involved would have been a perfect yeah. pay per view match because if another you meant. Now that you mentioned them, FTR, I was very surprised that they were not there. And they weren't even in a damn tag team battle royal. I was expecting, I was counting the teams. I think they had like 15, 16 teams in there. That's a lot. That's a lot of teams for them to have there. And I'm like, you don't have one of the best tag teams in there besides of Young Bucks and Tetsanas or teams in the battle royal? Like, what, what happened there? So... It was strange. Uh, MVP of the night, I'm going to say Phoenix, because uh, of uh, just it's incredible what he does, and Rio in the women. Who are you going to pick as your MVP of the night? Um, Phoenix, definitely Phoenix. That face-off with him and Jungle Boy, I want to see them go at it one-on-one. I would love to see that. The uh, Rio, Rio, I got to give again. Yeah, she's my MVP, because that woman, she took 10 knee strikes, dude. I mean, I never seen anybody take that much knee struggle. Maybe a, a male Japanese wrestlers, because I've seen guys take beat triggers in Japan like crazy when Mega was out there. But this woman showed what she's made of, reason she's been in the business this long. Um, and I would like to have to stay around, see how far she goes, if she could help build the division better than what it is. Yeah, I think without a doubt. Um so, what is your score at 10? I'm going to give this an 8.5, which is probably one of my lowest AEW pay-per-view ratings, but what are you going to say? I'll go with an 8.5. I'm going to go with an 8.5 because of the dud. That dud, again, um, they started off with a bang, and they finished off with a dud. I think if they would have ended with that ring exploding, I would have gave it a 10. But they didn't because they messed up the last part. The last well, part... You know, you leave the last impression, the last impression should be good. And then that was the last impression they left. Well, Cody had more chance of getting hurt on his entrance, I think, than they did at that point in time when the explosion went off. But like you said, 
the the last thing the pay-per-view ended with was with booing and laughing which is just such a no-no when it comes to that um but that is it that is us for um AEW and of course revolution and don't forget uh this weekend we're gonna have pre looted dynamite and brace for impact because next week it is impact sacrifice and you will be joining us again because it is moose versus swan how much oh, are you yeah. looking forward to this <laughs> listen i'm waiting for moose to beat the crap out of him and take that belt away from him i i want moose to win that belt now my question is this um, if Moose wins the Impact belt, are they going to unify the belts? That is the question. We're all going to have to wonder when Moose wins the belt next this Saturday. Is it this uh, Saturday? Yeah, it's, it's this Saturday coming as people listen to this. The Moose, podcast. Moose, undisputed world champion. I'm predicting it right here for all my UK fans out there. Moose, Moose Nation, get ready. Your next undisputed world champion, Moose. Well, like I said, at the weekend, we're going to have all the uh, build-up to impact and the fallout from dynamite and of course then like i said you will be joining me uh next tuesday for sacrifice i cannot wait but that is it before we go our follower of the week is jacob barton don't forget we're across all social media twitter at the wnr podcast i'm at the wnrjr uh do you want to just plug your stuff goody yeah uh, i'm on the, jo- uh, the jokes land wrestling report you can find me on the youtube channel um you can also find me on the audio podcast on apple spotify Amazon, um, any major audio podcast platforms you guys can find me. Also, um, I believe I'm out there on my YouTube channel uh, called Power 4, the channel Power 4. I think it's a streaming device out there in UK. You can see me in there. Um, I, I think I started it like about two weeks ago. So if you want if you want to join Power 4 and join the streaming device, uh, streaming line, whatever, uh, you can find my, my YouTube videos there. I do it every week. So Enjoy. Well, de- definitely <laughs> check him out there. It's definitely worthwhile. Dubbing up also on Facebook and Instagram across all the Google platforms. Send us an email, the Dubbing Up Podcast at gmail.com and YouTube, Dubbing Podcast. For the latest clips and podcasts, go at the same time on YouTube as they do SoundCloud on and also Spotify and iTunes. You can download, subscribe, rate, and review there. So that is it. And like I said, we all know what's coming up now, but it has been a pleasure to have you back on. Um, time, may- maybe the AW you, you know, was a little bit of a whimper, went out with a little bit of a bang, but this podcast didn't today, did it? You know, no, not not at all, man. I, I love being in your podcast because the two great minds working together, and and um, I just have fun. This is this is great. I love it. Well, like I said, I love having you on, mate, and like I said, your experience and everything like that just brings an extra edge to it. And it is Moose versus Swan next week, and we can't Moose, wait for that. Moose, <laughs> Moose. <laughs> Until then, I have been James Rowlands and I was joined by the fantastic Ultimate One. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody, and bye.